following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. All right, Acts chapter 10 is where we're at this morning. Uh, We're going to look at verse 34 uh, through 43. It's page 710 in your pew Bibles. Um, Acts is in the, uh, right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then you're going to hit Acts. Um, And um, Acts is essentially the Acts of the Apostles. And so Luke is the first part of Acts, which talks about Jesus and uh, what Jesus did and how he came and he walked among the earth. And then Acts is the embodiment of Jesus in his followers. And we've been walking chapter by chapter in the book of Acts. And last um, couple weeks, we saw this pharmaceutical monster. His name was Saul. He was hard at work persecuting the church and Christians until he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Jesus radically transforms the life of Saul. And um, a person asked me, they said, when did Saul become Paul? And that's a good question. Um, Saul kind of uses both of those names, and he uses Paul more um, because he's speaking to the Greeks. So if you ever wonder, um, did, did Saul change his name permanently to Paul? Not necessarily. People still kind of knew him as both. Um, but he used it more when speaking to the Gentiles um, to help them see this radical transformation that had happened in his life. After Saul's um, conversion over to Christ, he goes to Damascus and he starts preaching this Jesus to the synagogues that thought he was going to come and persecute him. Can you imagine that? Um, You are expecting this guy to come and arrest you, and all of a sudden he says, he is alive. And you're like, oh, I thought you were going to take me away in chains. And And he's like, no, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Some other highlights in chapter 9 include uh, religious authorities trying to seek to kill Saul. He escapes in a basket. Uh, Barnabas affirms Saul's ministry, another one of the uh, disciples. Peter um, heals some paralyzed people, and he even brings literally some um, people um, who are dead to life. And it's all in the name of Jesus. So we're seeing miracles transpire here in the book of Acts. And it's awesome because we're seeing miracles happen here too at Community Gospel, all in the name of Jesus. And so so we get to Acts chapter 10, and let me give you a little bit of backstory there before we focus on verse 34. It's going to open in Caesarea. Um, that's just the location where a man named Cornelius is a Roman centurion, and essentially that just means he works for the government. Um, he is a soldier, and he is stationed in Caesarea. He is a Gentile, and he is going to observe Jewish customs and prayers. So essentially, he's just kind of um, following his Jewish society a little bit. So he's a soldier, and he wants, essentially, uh, to make sure the Jews who are there understand that he admires them, and he's trying to do what God wants him to do. So one day, while Cornelius is praying, an angel of God appears to him and tells him to send some men to another place called Joppa to pick up Peter. Okay, so he says, okay, Um, and Cornelius, being a great delegator, says, I'm not going to go. I'm going to send a couple of other people there instead, and so um, he sends them over to that place. A little thrown off, um, what we see here is that Peter is praying in Joppa, and he receives a vision of animals that were lowered from the sky. 
And God commands Peter three times to kill and to eat. And he's not real sure what that means. And when Cornelius' men come, they essentially say, we want you to take that revelation and tell us what it means. We want you to come back to Caesarea, and we want you to talk to us about the things that you have seen and how they transpire. So on the way back, Peter with these men, he is going to receive the revelation from God that is going to radically transform the church and the way that they worship from here on out, because it is the open door in which the Gentiles walk through. It is no longer uh, Jews uh, have a relationship with God and Gentiles are excluded. Now it is all those who would come to faith in Jesus Christ uh, can have a relationship with God. And that's where we get in verse 34. And it's huge for us, and I'll explain um, why in just a moment. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this is an awesome passage of Scripture, and there's many truths uh, that are here. I see myself as Cornelius sometimes. I see myself as um, some of the men who were sent to go get Peter, and um, I don't see myself a lot as Peter here in the text. I see myself a lot as Peter before the text, the one who doubts sometimes and the one who um, is a little ashamed of the fact that he's walked with you. But he has received mercy and grace, and he knows that he is a child of God. And I think if we were being honest this morning, God, many of us deal with the very same thing. And many of us struggle with the very same things that Peter struggled with. We struggle with this firm foundation that we have with you, and we struggle with doing what you want us to do. We struggle with obtaining that mercy and that grace that washes away our sins. We struggle with clinging to the future when so many of us cling to the past. And God, right now in this place, I pray that you would help us to see the future that you have in store for us. That you no longer, when we become believers and followers of the way of Christ, have to go back to the old self, but we can cling to the new, and that we can do certain things that validate that faith that we have in you, and that we can do things um, that show us uh, that you love us and that we love you in return. God, assure us of our faith this morning. Speak to us very clearly, convict us, teach us, but also encourage us so that we could leave differently than the way in which we walked in this morning. And may you get the praise and the glory, and may you um, be Lord of all of our lives, not just little pockets of it. And may we uh, seek to honor and glorify you as we look at this text. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 10, verse 34 says this. So Peter opens up his mouth, and he's going to talk to these men and to Cornelius, this soldier, and he's going to say some things to them, and he's going to explain the revelation that God has given to him, okay? Peter opens his mouth, and he says, truly, I understand, first and foremost, that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. 
God shows no partiality. The door is wide open. It's not just for Jews anymore. It's for Gentiles as well. For every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. For as the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is, what does the text say, Lord of all. He is the Lord of all. And so there's marks here that we see, three specifically, on how to follow Christ well and to mimic Jesus. And the first one is in the very first part of the text. And if you circle or underline it, whichever one you want to do in your Bible, um, and if it's a pew Bible, you're probably going to help somebody else out later on down the road, is to show no partiality. The first mark, genuine mark, of a believer when we become like Christ, is showing no partiality. It is an extension that we have as believers, followers of the way, to show mercy and grace to others. It applies, first of all, to the gospel, and then it goes on after that in our regular everyday life. Look at what Peter says in his opening remark. In the explanation to Cornelius, we are all here in the presence of God, this is verse 33, to hear all that you have been commanded. Peter continues in 34, no partiality. In other words, God is no respecter of persons. He is not one who discriminates on who gets to receive the gospel and who doesn't get to receive the gospel. He is no respecter of persons. He doesn't look at one person and say, well, where you're at in your life and with all your good works, you deserve the gospel. And where you're at in your life, you obviously are a little far off and don't deserve the gospel. He says, no, I'll give man a choice on whether or not they will accept me as Lord and Savior. And everybody has a choice on whom they will serve. I show no partiality. The Greek word translated respecter means to show favoritism. And what he's saying there is that God does not ignore or change his standards on how people approach him. The standard is always going to be the same. And that is that it's going to take faith in Christ to have a relationship with God. I don't show any partiality to anybody, but my standard is always going to be the same, God says, that you must enter into a relationship with me through faith in Christ. That is for, as he continues in 35, every nation. Now, the word nation here, if you want to circle that, speaks of specific people groups who didn't worship the true God. We call them pagans. And in the New Testament, Paul is going to call them Gentiles. So if we were to really put the rubber on the road, we would understand that he is speaking here to us, a nation who is far from him. And he says, my standard is that you come into a relationship with me through faith in Christ. I show no partiality because all, as Romans says, have fallen short of the glory of God. So what's the universal application? <clears throat> Peter shows a clear understanding in the universal application in 36 that Christ's work on the cross is an offering for all. And in his act of mercy and grace, God doesn't discriminate on race, economics, but the good news of the gospel of peace through Christ is the fact that anyone who accepts Christ through faith is acceptable to God. And so we are commanded, first and foremost, to take the gospel to these people. But secondly, if we were to look deeper into the text, we'll realize that we are commanded to do the same as believers to others in everyday actions. James will say in James 2.1, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over another? 
He will say, if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin and you are guilty of breaking the law. You are to show no partiality in first and foremost delivering the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are to show no partiality in delivering over mercy and grace. Just a question that I've been wrestling this past week. Who have you passed over giving mercy and grace to this past week? That so rightly deserves it, but yet you went straight over them because you think that God's mercy and grace should extend to somebody else. Peter will say, remember, our heavenly father, the one to whom you pray, he has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as a temporary resident. Now, some of us are having a hard time uh, thinking of examples of how this works by showing no partiality. Well, let me give you just uh, some very simple ways. Number one, when you walk into church, I'm going to speak of us who are gathered here in this building before we go outside the building. You walk into church and um, you look past some people and you strive to talk to the other people because you're excited to see them, but you went right by somebody else in the process, right? We did not extend our hand of gratitude and say, hey, good morning, it's so good to see you, right? We went on to the people in which we already know. That wasn't you, that was somebody else that happened to you this morning. It cuts to the soul. I do it, right? I have so many people that need to talk to Pastor Jordan that I go over other people uh, and I go straight for them. Hey, Jordan, gone, right? I desperately need to get to the sound booth to check my microphone and in the process, I have totally passed three people. God forgive me. They are in the same need of mercy and grace that everybody else is needed. That's not fun, so let's go past church. I don't want to convict you too much today, but maybe I will. In business, okay, if you're at school, we will talk to the high schoolers and the junior hires for a minute. You pass by somebody in the hallway so that you can speak to one of your friends, but you realize that somebody is having an issue at their locker, and you realize that I don't have time to address this issue. That's easy for us to look at the middle school and the high schoolers, but we do it at work too, don't we? Uh, if we go to our work, we realize that somebody's having a bad day, but uh, there's things that need to be done at work. And if I pause and I talk to this person, I talk to this individual, then I'll get behind on everything else that I have to do for the day. And there's a lot of eyes in that sentence, isn't there? You are to show no partiality in extending God's mercy and grace so that Hopefully, the gospel will be preached in that setting, that those who are far from God would come to know Christ, because he pauses, and he stops, and Peter is pausing, and he's stopping. He's removing himself from Joppa, where there's much work to be done, and he's looking at it, and he's saying, hey, I know that there's responsibilities that's here in Joppa, uh, but God moves him to another place where he's speaking to Gentiles who, honestly, if Peter would be honest, he doesn't really want to speak to in the first place because they're not his people. And he's looking at them and he's saying, God has placed me here so that you can see his mercy and grace. What about in the home? How about loving your children the same? That's tough for me. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, Jordan, which one of your kids is your favorite? I said, it just depends on the day. Is it the right attitude to have? No. 
I'm to love them both the same. They make that difficult sometimes. But I'm to love them the same and give them the same mercy and grace. Let me give you one in my life that is huge, uh, that convicted me as I was studying this. In our neighborhood, many people live in my neighborhood who are gathered here today, so I have to be really careful with this. Uh, but we know a lot of people in our neighborhood. We're really close, except two houses. There's two houses in our neighborhood that just don't fit in with our neighborhood, and everybody knows it. And it's weird because I've tried so hard uh, to get into these people's lives. I'm lying when I tell you that. I haven't really tried that hard. <laughs> because it's so easy when somebody goes by, I, I know them and I say hi to them and I extend my hand of mercy and grace to them and I genuinely want to know how they're doing. But then when the other person drives by and their car doesn't look like mine and it doesn't sound like mine and it looks very different than mine. And they look very different than me. I realize just how far I have fallen from showing partiality. We had a block party, and it was funny. We were sitting uh, in this block party, and we're all talking to the people that we know and that we love. And I'm staring at this house, and I'm going, where are these people at? And we had extended an invitation to them. I mean, so there's that. I mean, I did my part, right? I don't know. I struggle with that, though. Because that's in my life. Where is it at in your life? I know it's fun to have Pastor Jordan examples, but you could pray for me in the process. Because it's tough to get into somebody's life, to not show any partiality to them. And the hard part about pastoring a church with people you know is everybody in my neighborhood who is here knows what I'm talking about, and they're going to hold me accountable to that. It's not fun, okay? So... Paul says, I try to find uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, common ground with everyone, doing everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Do we do that? Do we, find, do we try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings? I love the Jesus Loves Me, This I Know video that you just saw. Love to all like God does. Only then can we live like his children. That's what I've been wrestling with. Do I show no partiality? How do I follow Christ well? Show no partiality to all nations. And he continues in verse 36. Enough um, illustrations from Pastor Jordan's life. As for the word that he sent to Israel, and again, he is explaining these things to these people who he doesn't necessarily want to be at, but he's there. As he sent them to Israel, preaching good news and peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Verse 37, you yourselves know what happened through Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, and with power he went out, he did good, and he healed all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. No partiality, first mark of being a believer. Second mark that we see that comes from Christ is the elimination of evil here. If you look in that very uh, last verse that I read, it said that he, Jesus, went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. He drove out evil. And that's a tough passage of scripture here because Peter's audience had most likely heard about who Jesus was and how the church was on the move. And when he tells the story of Christ's life and death in detail, notice this is a beautiful summary of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Do you see he does it in like two sentences? Can you do that? 
If I asked you, if I said, hey, can you summarize the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in just two sentences, could you do that? I don't know if I could do that. That's tough. Could you summarize what Paul's saying in Romans? Could you summarize what Paul says in 1 and 2 Corinthians? Could you summarize the entire New Testament in two words, or, or not two words, two sentences? Because sometimes two sentences is all that we have with people who are present in our everyday life. Look at, he says in verse 36, Jesus comes and he spreads the word or the good news of peace, meaning doctrine. So Peter's teaching Cornelius and his friends, and they know about the children of Israel who are the Jews, who heard the message in regards to Jesus Christ. Now, them being Gentiles, they're probably hearing what Peter is saying, and they're probably just letting it go in one ear and out the other ear. Because while Peter is in the action of showing no partiality, they think that that message is for just the Jews. It's for somebody else. And so the same will happen in your life and my life when we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody will think that it's just for you. Somebody will think that it's just for somebody else, but not for them. There is no way that God could love me the same way in which he loves you. And I'll prove it. Because when people look at your life, they think to themselves, there's no way that I could be like you. And you look at that and you think, there's no way, Jordan. Like, you gotta know my friends. No, I guarantee you there's people in your life who hold you up on a high pedestal and see you as being a very good, godly person. And they think there's no way that I could get up there. But Peter says, listen, the Jews rejected God. They got the first opportunity to receive the good news and be at peace with God, and they reject him. So the Gentile door is open. He says he's Lord of all, those in which he rejected and those in which will accept. You know, verse 37 and 38, these things. So he mentions Christ's ministry throughout Judea, which included good works and miracles of Christ, which is the same good works and miracles that had, trans, um, that had transpired from the apostles. So what? Christ is a fulfillment of the scriptures to all so that evil would be purged. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, Isaiah says, for the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor, the oppressed, the sinners, the wretched, me and you. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim the captives that they will be released and that prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies is near. And what we know is if Jesus can turn from evil, you and I can turn from evil. See, we received his spirit and can repent. It goes back to verse 35. Look at that. Every nation or anyone who fears him does what is right, is acceptable to him. What is right? What is right is to eliminate evil. There is a progressive sanctification that happens to become like Christ. If somebody looks at you who you haven't talked to in 10 years and they say, you haven't changed one bit, be petrified. Because you should have changed so much. I go back to my hometown, people don't even recognize me sometimes. And it's not to say that to boast, it's to say that, that they, they don't know. And they're like, man, you've changed so much. Praise God. People in your workplace should see you as progressively sanctifying, becoming like 
Christ so much that you change on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. The person you are next year is not the same person that you are today. And it comes from Christ. If Jesus can turn from evil, then we have received his spirit and we too can repent. So there's a a twofold prayer that kind of manifests from 35 and to the last verse that we read in 38. And that is one, the prayer for holiness and two is the prayer for discernment. If we are like Christ, we will strive for holiness, which is the elimination of evil in our life. And I struggle with this too as well. Man, this is like, a, this is like Pastor Jordan being an open book today. No fun, right? But it's, it's the way it is. I struggle with this. God, discern in my mind what is good and what is not good. And then when I'm having a good time, you know, you know what God does? He says, not good. And I'm bummed out. But Christ will wreck your life to become like him as you purge evil from it. And he's telling the Gentiles this, he's telling Cornelia this, he's telling the two friends this, and they're starting to get it. So it's a prayer for holiness first, but secondly, it's a prayer for discernment. We receive Christ, and if we have received him, the last week's message comes to life. Then we will get conviction, we will get humility, and we will be commanded to be obedient as God reveals the true condition of your heart. In the purging of evil, can you pray those two prayers? Can you pray a prayer, God, make me holy? Can you pray a prayer, God, help me discern which is good and which is evil? That's tough because he'll grant you those requests. As I was talking to, uh, to Dale and Kay, um, one of the things uh, that uh, Kay had communicated to me, we were on the phone and we were having this conversation and she says, I just feel like... Uh, I prayed for a blessing, and this feels like a curse. And I said, sometimes the curse is the blessing. And she says, Jordan, I don't want to hear that. But sometimes it's true, isn't it? That we feel like God would curse us, that we are convicted of our sin, and we need to purge the things that are not of him. But he says, no, this is good for you, that you would think and you would be convicted of these things. Psalmist says it in Psalm 119. He says, God, if I am your, your servant, then you should give me discernment, the ability to know that which is right and that which is wrong. Chuck Smith says, the fear of the Lord is manifested inwardly by my hating evil, which is expressed outwardly in my departing from evil. The fear of the Lord is manifested inwardly by my hating evil, which is expressed outwardly by my departing from evil. Maybe some of the reasons that we do not depart from evil is because it's already manifested itself inwardly and we haven't done the internal work to do the external action. Remember the old song? I don't know if you guys are around from this time, but uh, there's an old song we used to sing by the campfire, creating me a clean heart, oh God, right? And everybody would raise their hands and it was a great time because there was fire. But it was true. Purify me from within. If I'm purified from within, the outside changes. So some of us in this congregation today might be struggling with external actions because we have not dealt with the internal changes that are needed the most. And that means that we have to really get right with the Lord. Okay, 39. So he continues. He says, I want you um, to realize how important it is, first and foremost, that you show no partiality 
Eliminate evil in your life because it's possible with Christ. He is able to do far more abundantly than we could ask or imagine. Verse 39, and we are witnesses of all of this. What's this? We are witnesses of what he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. We are witnesses that they put him to death by hanging him on a tree, the crucifixion. But God raised him on the third day, validation, and he made him appear. I think it's amazing that Christ never preaches to a congregation after his resurrection. He just sits down and eats with them. Isn't that amazing? The king of all heaven and earth doesn't go and fill a stadium. He goes and sits down with choice few people. Look at this. He says, God raised him on the third day. They made him appear, 41, not to all people, but to us. To Peter. Really, Peter? But he did. He appeared to us as a witness who ate and who drank with him after he rose from the dead, verse 42. And then he commands us to be a witness, to preach to the people. You could write in your Bibles there, Matthew uh, chapter 28 to testify that he is the one who is appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. You show no partiality, you eliminate evil from your life as you move forward in your witness for Christ, the marks of what it means to follow him well. Peter says, we're witnesses to Christ's ministry, crucifixion, resurrection, validation. 40 and 41, look at Christ's witness. Christ appeared to them. This is 1 Corinthians 15, to Peter, the 12, and more than 500 uh, brothers at one time. Why would he do that? Why would Paul write this, and why would um, Luke record this? That's legal and historical proof that Christ came, died, and rose again. That's all you need. Give me evidence of a resurrected Messiah, 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, verse 5 through 7, that's legal and historical proof. Then the continued witness in verse 42 and 43. The command of a resurrected Christ then goes to witness by preaching the gospel, letting Christ be the judge of both the living and the dead, Jew or Gentile. You get a choice. So he turns the prophet's proclamation of suffering into uh, salvation. That Christ was a long-awaited Savior who would offer forgiveness of sins to everyone who believes in him. So my question on the table as I was studying this is, so what does it look like for me to be a good witness? What does that look like in my life for me to be a good witness like Christ? Well, he was spirit-filled, he avoided evil, he showed no partiality, and that led him to be slain and hung on a tree. How encouraging is that? So sometimes there's going to be difficulty, I know that, okay, but that doesn't really answer the question. How are we called to be a good witness for Christ? Well, we would take Christ's example. Let me give you just four things that will make you a good witness. Number one, that you would live a consistent Christ-centered life, not that you would be elevated to spiritual highs or experience spiritual lows, that you would be slow and steadfast in your walk with God, that you would be slow and steadfast in understanding his word, spending time in prayer with him. A consistent life trumps an inconsistent life, that you would be consistent in every day pursuing the fact that you love justice and let that come from the Lord and hate that which is evil, 
that the prayer for a consistent life comes from Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, that you have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in me, and that the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. What a prayer that would be for your morning, that you would wake up and say, God, I have been crucified with Christ. Help me no longer live for myself, but let me live for Christ. Help me live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me to all individuals who I will interact with and encounter today. That I would be consistent in my walk with God. Philippians chapter 1 verse 20. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. Good times or bad, trials or tribulations. Hard situations or easy circumstances, it doesn't matter. That I would be consistent in my relationship with Christ. For me, it is to live is Christ and to die is gain. Be in a consistent relationship with Jesus Christ. It is the best witness that you can have. People will see you as unshaken. They will look at you and they will say, I don't understand. Your boat does not rock back and forth. And you'll say, it does, but Christ is the one who makes it still. Number two, listen well and speak accordingly. I love that Peter shows up here and he listens, first of all, to what they want, and then he answers them to their need. He listens very well. What do you want from me? We want you to unpack what this scripture means. Okay, then he's going to speak accordingly. James will say, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's a prayer that God would help us with in our witness to those who are lost and far from God. They would be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get upset. Upset at what? That they don't get it. <laughs> Drives me nuts when people don't understand why don't you understand this is so simple? It's the gospel 101, but I remember it was hard for me to understand. Live a consistent life. Listen well. Speak accordingly the scriptures in which you have received. Three, pray for opportunities to share the gospel and for others to receive the word regardless of who they are. Regardless of who they are. I know the people in my life who I want to save. And God says there's a problem with that because it's you and it's not me. And he says, do not pass over people who deserve my mercy and my grace. If we look at John chapter 16, it says, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because <clears throat> if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I don't go away, Jesus says, then I can't send him to you. And when he comes, here's what he's going to do. The spirit that is within me, he's going to convict the world of sin and God's righteousness and the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. That righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. And judgment will, become, uh, will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. Let God handle the outcome of your situation and your circumstances. If you live a consistent life for Jesus Christ, if you have the opportunity to listen well and to speak accordingly the scriptures in which you know, then other people have to make decisions that they need to make. You cannot make them for them. You, 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 you can't make it somebody else's uh, mind up for them. You can lead a horse to the water, but you can't make him drink. 
So we pray for opportunities to share the gospel and give people the opportunity to accept that gospel that we received. And then the fourth thing, which is so huge for us, is to avoid being arrogant depending on their, uh, depending on their response. That's the hardest thing, isn't it? And you've given somebody mercy and grace. You showed no partiality. You're eliminating evil in your life. You're realizing that God is working in and through you. And you're being a solid witness for Jesus Christ and somebody rejects you. There's no deeper hurt than rejection. It hurts. It stinks. It comes from coworkers. It comes from family members. It comes from those people who you never thought it would come from. In our witness for Jesus Christ, there's so many people who are out there that will look at you and they will say, anybody but you, anybody but you. And you'll, and you'll think to yourself, God, I never thought that rejection would come from this place. And it does. But we can't be arrogant after that has happened. <clears throat> if you need wisdom, you should ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He won't rebuke you for asking, but the wisdom that comes from above is pure it is also peace-loving, gentle at times, willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism. It's always sincere. The sincerity of Jesus Christ is apparent in the four Gospels. The sincerity of Peter is so apparent here. Do you notice that he's just communicating what he knows to people who are so lost in their own sin? Peter just says, I'll explain it to you. Here's how simple it is. The gospel came for the Jews first, they rejected it, and now it's open to the Gentiles. You're the Gentiles. I thought I was supposed to do work over here. God brought me to this spot. I'm supposed to show no partiality because Christ doesn't show any partiality. He makes it clear that everybody has to make a decision. I don't want to do that which is evil. I need to do that which is good and godly and from above. And so therefore, here's my witness to you that you too can live the life that I live. That's the summary of the text. That's it. And so the summary of the text can be the summary for your text in which you share to people who you participate with in everyday activities. That you can boldly share the message of Christ just like Peter does and follow his example and let them decide for themselves who now they will serve. Peter made it clear that the message is for everyone. It's not just for the Jews anymore. It's the catalyst for the church that everybody sins and everyone needs to be saved and needs forgiveness, but all that's needed is faith. Now, look who the message is coming from. Have you ever thought about that? Like, Peter is so bold in declaring the message of Jesus Christ. This is the same Peter that denied him three times. This is the Peter who had a past that was so far from God but now he has become full in God through a relationship with Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. I was talking to a guy the other day, and I'll close with this. <clears throat> he says, you know what? I love what you're doing at Community Gospel. I think it's great. I said, thanks, man. He said, yeah, no problem. He said, I could never come in to a church. I said, really, why? He said, man, that church would just catch on fire. And I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, man, you must have done something real kind of bad. He's like, why do you think that? I said, you must have done something real kind of bad. You know, I said, because if you walked into the church and just all of a sudden spontaneously combusts and goes into flames, first of all, I think there'd be 200 people that think that's pretty awesome. You should come to our church. I mean, people would be like, whoa, the church caught on fire. Can you imagine that conversation at lunch table this afternoon? So there we were. We went to church on Sunday. We were hanging out. This guy walked in, poof, whole building just completely engulfed in flames, right? 
And he'd be like, no, man, that was uh, the kids' ministry. They're making popcorn uh, with a microwave. <laughs> but I told him, I said, man, you must have done something real kind of bad. And he's like, I don't understand that. And he says, I, I, I think I'm a good person. I said, listen, the guy who pens one-third of the New Testament persecuted Christians and put him in jail. He said he holds the coats for the people who stone uh, the first martyr that we see. His name is Stephen. I said, Peter renounces Jesus three times to his face. I said, I think that Jesus can see Peter and him rejecting him in the gospel. That's debatable. I said, most of the disciples had done something that was a disservice to God, but God took their disservice, covered it with his mercy and grace, and made them righteous. And I said, I don't think the building would catch on fire. I think you might. And you might be consumed with the decision that you have to make of whom you will serve, whether it be somebody greater than yourself. So I never thought about that like that before. We're just unpacking the truth to people who we meet on an everyday basis, seeking to avoid the own evil in our life so that we can become like Christ, sanctified to his truth, so that we can be solid witnesses. Who is that in your life? Who is that true for in your everyday? Let me pray for you. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, um, I think this is tough um, because we're all, uh, we find ourselves either in, in Cornelius' boat um, hearing this news or we find ourselves in Peter's boat trying to deliver this news. And um, I think it's tough. And I know there's people here who don't know you as, as Lord and Savior. I know that, God. And so, well, um, we pray as a body of believers. If there's somebody here who doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, make today the day in which you repent. And say, you know what? I thought the building was going to catch on fire when I walked in here. But the amazing thing about John 3.17 is that Jesus doesn't condemn the world. He doesn't come to condemn the world. He comes to save the world. And the Bible tells us an even further explanation of the truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So if you find yourself here in these pews and you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Christ, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you'll be saved. You make that decision today. You say, God, I want a relationship with you. I believe Jesus Christ came, walked, died. His blood that was shed on the cross was for my sins. And I can have a relationship with you that the old can leave and the new can come. If you made that decision, man, I'd love for you to come find me. and give you, I can give you some assurance that, that it's real and it's true that God does want a relationship with you. And I know so many of us in this room, God, um, we know you as Lord and Savior. We've made that decision to place our faith and trust in the blood of Christ. And so there's lots of application here uh, that we really need to seek um, your guidance and your help on. Lord, first and foremost, um, lay on our hearts the people who we have passed over, that we have showed partiality, that we haven't sought out that need to be sought out. Identify um, or help us identify people um, 
who you want us to go to, the Corneliuses in our life and his friends that need us. God, I pray even uh, for me um, in, in my neighborhood. I pray for opportunities to um, evangelize and, and to just enter into the life of the people um, who, who I'm not involved with right now. God, I pray for the congregation that we just need to um, eliminate some evil in our life. Maybe we're um, dipping our fingers into some things that we just don't need to. And maybe we're watching things or, or listening to things or we're um, participating in some things that we just, we just need to get out of. May your Holy Spirit convict us in those things. And God, help us not to live in those areas, but, but to move um, into more of an understanding of what it means to be buried in your mercy and grace so that we can be solid witnesses for you. Show us the areas and the places in which you want us to go, uh, even today, to share the good news of a resurrected and risen Savior who is available to all. Help us give that message to those who need it the most. It is in your uh, awesome, powerful, wonderful name that we pray. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab. 